0: Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, my name is Patrice Nwuga, a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. So last week, the Supreme Court delivered a controversial ruling on sales tax, uh, internet sales tax on items that we purchase online. One of the most appealing early benefits, really, of online shopping was that you didn't have to pay sales taxes in some states. Uh, That was a competitive advantage for online retailers over brick-and-mortar stores. Now, since then, e-commerce has grown to give traditional shopping a real run for its money. Uh, Along the way, (laughs) lawmakers have bemoaned the loss of potential revenue from all of that spending. Um, So what does the Supreme Court ruling mean for Internet sales taxes going forward? Well, we have Maddie Doppler, Senior Fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, and also the founder and president of Forward Strategies. Uh, She has extensive experience working on tax issues for Congress, and she's going to help us understand what the Supreme Court ruling on the Internet sales taxes mean for us. Maddie, welcome to the program. Yeah, Patricia, thanks for having me. So, Maddie, I'm going to be honest. I love to shop online like a lot of women out there, and I have always found that not having to pay sales taxes where I've lived was a real big benefit over going to a regular mall or store, um, and, and I guess I understood this—the sales tax, the internet sales tax—to mean that you know, unless you're not charged a sales tax on certain items um, if a retailer does not have a physical presence in your state. So, is that the right
1: understanding of, the, of what the internet sales tax is all about? Well, that is the right understanding of what the internet sales tax was all about up until last week, when the Supreme Court decided to essentially overturn. 30 years of precedent related to interstate commerce. So here's where we are now. Uh, The Supreme Court was hearing a challenge to a law that South Dakota had passed. And South Dakota had written this law in a way that it knew would be constitutionally suspect. They wanted to uh, provoke this challenge at the high court um, under the premise that they felt These laws need to be challenged. The standard needed to be changed. Back in 1992, the Supreme Court considered this issue. What does it mean to have a presence in a state? Or more appropriately, what does it mean for a state to tax a business? What What does that business need to uh, need to show, or that state need to show, um, in order to have that be an appropriate measure of the state's authority? And the Supreme Court decided that. What the line should be uh, is a business should have to have a physical presence in a state in order for that state to have the authority to tax it, which is pretty common sense and pretty straightforward, right? Uh, right mm-hmm. now, when you are shopping you know, peer-to-peer, if you walk into a store, you don't have to show your driver's license uh, to the cashier to say that you live in this state, so you'll pay that state, that state sales tax. Uh, It it established established clear boundaries, not only for tax administration, um, but also for the principles that govern the tax authority in this nation. You know, we're a nation built on no taxation without representation. So Mm -hmm. having geography outline the boundaries for taxing authority, in effect, creates a ceiling. Uh, It creates a ceiling for which constituencies um, have an avenue to appeal, if they believe that the tax burden they're bearing is one they don't want to tolerate. Now, we have a scenario in which taxing authorities may be able to tax people who can't vote for them. So bureaucrats who are living Mm -hmm. in one state are able to write a tax law that could burden a consumer in a different state, and that consumer doesn't have any redress because they don't vote for that politician. So I, I consider this to be a very disconcerting decision by the Supreme Court because of all of the consequences that may come from this decision.
0: Well, let's just jump right into it. I mean, you, you talked about the fact that you know, as a, a as someone who lives in Maryland, for example, and I buy something from an Etsy retailer for my my friend's bridal shower, and she's from Wyoming. Is it mm-hmm. potentially possible for Wyoming to now tax me um, on the goods that I bought, even though that person doesn't have a physical space, uh, physical store here in Maryland? Um, and, and, you know, what, so what are the, some of the implications for us as shoppers, but also for, you know, the retailers, the small businesses themselves, and
1: then for the government? Right, right. And that is the question that remains to be seen. Right now, the Supreme Court has essentially said South Dakota's law stands. So immediately after that, we've seen other states try to craft their own laws. Uh, that mirror what South Dakota did. And what South Dakota did was it said, you know, there's a certain barrier, there's a certain threshold that companies need to achieve, um, you know, a certain number of revenue or number of sales uh, generated in a certain, in a state in order to qualify for Uh, the sales tax, or for a certain number of transactions, but, you know, I don't see this as being something that's particularly strong to inoculate small business from the impact of this uh, tax burden. You know, the South Dakota law was written in a way where it said uh, the business had to issue more than 200 transactions in the state to qualify. Well, 200 transactions, if you're a small jewelry maker who sells your wares on Etsy, 200 small bracelets is not a lot of product for you to That's move. Right. That, certainly, yeah, that certainly could hit you then if you're doing commerce in that state, especially in a pretty populous state. Now, South Dakota obviously is not one of those, but you can imagine a state like New York or California or Texas, uh, how that threshold could be cleared pretty easily. So the question of how consumers are going to be hit by this tax, obviously businesses could pass those taxes along to the consumers. You mentioned when you shop mm-hmm. online, you know, sometimes you can see that that sales tax isn't collected at the point of purchase. That's certainly a possibility. But I think a bigger question is what are retailers going to do, um, in particular, businesses that have been using the, these platforms in order to expand their own, uh, their own consumer base? You know, I think there's a little bit of a misconception here, um, and this certainly is an argument that has been uh, promoted by, uh, by the plaintiffs in the Supreme Court case and other adherents of an online sales tax which is this notion that small businesses somehow had a disadvantage with the uh, with the internet. You know, I would argue the exact yeah. opposite. Nothing has been more democratizing for small business than the internet. Businesses that otherwise would have zero sales base outside their own borders are now basically mm-hmm. able to access limitless options for new customers. And having uh, these uh, these big retailers who work online, yes, it forces some businesses to reform and assess their business models a little bit. But if you look at Amazon, Amazon itself is already collecting the sales tax on uh, transactions right. that they themselves sell. They're not collecting a sales tax on third-party sellers. So all of these small businesses who use Amazon as a platform and are able to increase their sales as a result of that They're the ones who now have to deal with the consequences of this decision, and they're not the big guys. They're not the incumbents in business. They're the small people using these platforms to grow their businesses. And, you know,
0: I I think a a piece of that is just the regulatory burden. Not only imagine going from having to file paperwork and track sales taxes for 50 states. Um, as a yes. small business owner who, you know, you're maybe you're you're um you're selling jewelry out of your 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 garage. You certainly do not mm-hmm. want to dedicate all of your time and energy and frankly money to hiring accountants and to, to trying to figure out what the sales taxes are going to be. So, you know, Maddie, I really think that you've you've hit on, you know, kind of the big takeaways from this Supreme Court case, which is for customers. We're probably, we probably may see sales taxes passed on to us, depending on how states craft their laws. As a result, and then for small business owners um, and, and online small online retailers, they're going to have a new regulatory burden to try to try to comply with. And, and I think that is not going to be good for for internet sales business for really for just the, the free market system that we have today. So, um, any
1: any final thoughts on this topic, Maddie? No, Patricia, I couldn't agree with you more. You hit it on the head perfectly. The question of how much people are paying in taxes is one question entirely and something that I certainly think taxpayers and customers should be worried about. But the second is just the administration and all this. We have 10,000 different taxing jurisdictions in this country. And now what the Supreme wow. Court has said is that all of you different authorities need to find out a way to align your practices so that businesses doing business in all of these different jurisdictions are somehow going to be able to do so in a way that isn't disruptive i certainly don't i don't see a way forward where businesses aren't disrupted trying to um, mm-hmm. trying to be able to uh, comply with this new regime, um, and I would just say that you know Congress can step in here. There are certain okay. efforts uh, that have been debated in Congress right now, legislation that could be passed that could clarify some of these rules. Some of them move in the in the opposite direction, where it would increase the sales tax burden and increase federal regulation of online commerce, which I think is a bad direction. Um, but there are other efforts that are very much uh, detailed to be simplifying and clarifying the process. Um, that certainly are needed now that the Supreme Court has opened the floodgates on online commerce.
0: Well, thank you so much for bringing in that congressional piece. You know, I, I, I just want to bring it full circle to what you said. Um taxpayers have a right not to have to pay taxes with no accountability for how that money that's being collected is being used I think that's going to be another part of this angle so you know Maddie can we have you back to talk about what the what what maybe in the next year or so maybe six months to see if there's been an impact and if other states have latched on to this and tried to, to to take advantage of this I'd love to get an update from you
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm hoping that it won't take a year for Congress to act, but we know how things move in Washington, D.C., but in the (laughs) meantime, we'll certainly see a lot of state activity uh, that responds to the Supreme Court decision.
0: Excellent. Well, for those who want to know more about this issue, Maddie has written a terrific op-ed. It's available on our website, and it's entitled Supreme Court Ignores Obvious Solutions to Internet Sales Tax Debate and Wayfair Ruling. Uh, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. To our listeners, thank you for also listening in today. Now don't forget uh, like this this uh, this podcast and rate us on iTunes so that others can come and find out you know about these great conversations that women are having about pop culture about policy and about politics. And also don't forget to visit our website at iwf.org uh, for more analysis on this and other issues. We hope that you'll tune in again. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or Stop by IWF.org for similar content.